Why was Mary so important to the story of the birth of Jesus? Why is it important that she was a virgin? Why is it important that Jesus come from the line of David? Today on The Midwick Move, we're going to answer those questions. Hello and welcome to the Midweek Move, podcast extension of the Healing Place. The podcast where we examine scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and ask ourselves, what is happening here? Today, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Scott and I are continuing our journey through Luke chapter 1, which is a, this is a lengthy chapter. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, I got to say, I love the fact that we're not just going, we're going to shotgun the whole thing. Uh, first off, that's a long episode. <laughs> But I think it allows us to marinate on certain topics and conversations that have been taking place. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, there's been some really interesting conversations as we dealt with um, the the conversation about Zacharias and Elizabeth and, and the prophecy about um, about John coming forth and that whole thing, the silencing of, of, of Zacharias and, and the implications of that. I think that by taking these momentary in, in segments, uh, it's forced to kind of... Um, Selah, if you will, <clears throat> right. in us reading this. Um, so often we just shotgun read some stuff, and we're just, we forget that there's a, it's a narrative. There's stuff yeah. taking place, and there's things, there are intricacies. We got, we actually got feedback from somebody that uh, they really enjoy the last couple of episodes because of the time we've taken to discuss the cultural things that are taking place, the, the spans of stuff. And uh, it's just been a really interesting way for people to look at these passages as a whole. Um, we also got back some feedback from people about how um, the story of, of John itself um, in his, his humble beginnings, how it, it, it is a kind of a revolution in mindset of how things should be for these people and how that's different. God, he shakes things up, but it's all within his, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, while it's a shakeup of society, it's still divinely seen throughout scriptures as a yep. whole. And so it's really beautiful. And uh, today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be continuing on, in, starting with verse 26 here in a second. And as we continue in Luke, we're going to notice that uh, he's going to introduce certain fundamental uh, Christological, theological, and pneumatological uh, ideas, such as divine sonship of Jesus, uh, his messianic role, God as the Most High, his grace, and the power of the Holy Spirit, which in some circles, that's kind of strange that the Holy Spirit's moving in so early? <laughs> yeah, and not only do we see that in some of what we're going to read today, but then we also see in uh, what we're going to read mm -hmm. that we're going to see something that happens to Elizabeth, mm. <clears throat> but then we'll see later something that happens to Zacharias. Mm -hmm. uh, similar things uh, that um, if your theology is bent in a certain way, uh, it's going to be really hard for you to wrap your mind around what the Word of God is actually saying. Exactly. Not what our theology is, mm -hmm. but what the Word of God is actually saying. Because, um, again, we, we want everything to be so linear. Mm. And in our time, mm -hmm. in our way of thinking the way it should be, rather than in God's timeline, right. in the way that God has ordained it to be. Yeah. So there are some very interesting things. I like the little, the taking it in little chunks. We've been doing Bible reading plan yeah. for the healing place, and we've been taking like two, three at the most, four verses at a time. And I think it, you hit it on the head. Is like It gives you an opportunity to say, la, not to pull those out of context. Mm. Read it in context. That's so Keep good. it in context. <laughs> but at the same time, 
I think that that three or four verses allows you to go, okay, how does this apply to my life? Mm-hmm. Much easier than an entire chapter, or you read four chapters. Okay, you've consumed that, Yeah. but have you really allowed it to take root and now do something with it in your life? And I just think that the way that, that we're doing this, I really like the pattern of this. Uh, I think it gives us a better opportunity to digest it, but then also have takeaways that we can say, okay, here's what here's what this is saying to me mm-hmm. through what the Word of God is saying. Here's how it applies to me, and here's what I need to do. Exactly. And, and like today, we're only doing 12 verses. That's it. Like some people, they shotgun 12 verses in, in a second, you know, and they don't think about it. We're, we're asking you, think about what we're saying today. Think about what the Word of God is saying today. But these 12 verses are a journey Ooh. unto themselves. It's, <laughs> again, these 12 verses, it may look like, okay, these are 12 verses, but there's a lot happening there's a big journey happening here. There's time spans that are going on within mm-hmm. these verses. I think we forget that. We forget that sometimes in Scripture, especially Old Testament, you can be in one verse and you can read seven verses, mm. and you've gone a span of maybe five years. Yeah, It's like, you know, you have to be, and especially like minor prophets, Old Testament prophets, they can be speaking in a narrative to us that looks like 12 verses. Right. Isaiah probably is one of the templates for this. He would be talking about something that had happened, is happening, is going to happen in the near future, mm-hmm. and in the same context, talk about something that was going to happen 800 years after him. Mm. And so it's like if you're not, if you're in this big long, you miss that. Right. And that's why I think sometimes people have a hard time grasping uh, chronologically mm. and time span is they're just consuming chapters and not keeping it in the context. And if you take it in smaller bites, I think then you begin to realize, oh, okay, wait a second, there's more happening here than right. four verses mm. or ten verses. It's like, no, 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 that's not the way. Again, the the inundation of chapters and verses I think was a good thing for humanity, but at times it can also be something that we begin to look at verses in space of time rather than what's actually happening in the Scriptures, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into it, Pastor. Uh, Verse 26 is where we're at today. Now in the sixth month, and I'll just insert this here because the last of where we have left that is Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, thus says the Lord who has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me, take away my reproach. Now in the sixth month, so many believe that Elizabeth knew she was pregnant after about one month, is most, what most commentators say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says, so she hid away five months. Now the sixth month, so it would appear that Elizabeth is right at about six months mm-hmm. pregnant. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. All right, so right at the gate, we begin with the contrast between John the Baptist and Jesus. Angel appeared to John's family in a well-respected, very religious, large city. Uh, you know, Jerusalem, he's in the temple, all this other stuff. The angel appears to Jesus' family, though, in the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, for us, we're just reading this, but for the, the people, the original readers of this, there's a reputation about this area. It's a small look-down-upon town, and it's partially look-down-upon because it's, it's so surrounded by Gentiles. It's not that the people weren't religious. It's just that 
they were a little more relaxed about some of the customs and the religious aspects of the Jewish life. They still held to certain things, but likely culturally, they were a little more relaxed about certain things than in Jerusalem itself. And I read one commentary talking about how this kind of, this humble birthing place, it echoes the humbleness of the, that was prophesied about who Jesus <clears throat> is, about the humble beginnings that he has coming into it. And again, it's it's an interesting contrast, whereas John, I mean, the heart of religious society coming from a, uh, a priest in the Holy of Holies, and here's Jesus, and he's in Galilee. And as it said in later in scriptures, what good came from Nazareth? Yeah, well, the religious of Jesus' day would, would quote that yeah. often. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It was looked down upon, of course. Mm-hmm. But where, that, where the news comes, again, where the news comes and where the birth comes are different things. Yes. Uh, so where the news comes right. to Zacharias, in the temple, no word from God, dark days, He's afraid mm-hmm. something bad's going to happen to him. It's in the holy place where in Mary gets this word again in Galilee. And that continues to this day. You go to Jerusalem and it's very heavy. Mm-hmm. I just had this conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were asking me about Israel and they had been once. And they were asking me, what's the best way to go to Israel? What's, what's the best pattern? And I said, well, I always like to start in Tel Aviv at Simon the Tanner's house and end in, in Caesarea uh, where uh, Peter ends up at Cornelius' house because you're bookending the story. Yeah. And they said, well, we went straight into Jerusalem. And I was like, man, I just... Or they would say, we finished in Jerusalem. And I would say, man, that's always a killer because you get on a plane and you are toast. <laughs> because even to this day when you go to Jerusalem... Not only is it spiritually heavy and emotionally heavy, but the walking, the stairs, the steps, the concrete, the 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 block, the cinder, mm-hmm. it's heavy. Yeah. And and to go there, it is such a difference when you're in Jerusalem and then all of a sudden you go out to Galilee and it's almost like everything opens up. Right. And it's like you can take a breath. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're in Jerusalem, it's even hard to breathe sometimes. Oh, wow. Look in. Because you're just taking everything in mm-hmm. spiritually and even physically, it's manifesting into a very intense wow. walk. So even a walk seems like a major workout. Mm-hmm. And and so then you go out to Galilee and it's like, <sighs> and then wow. it gives you a complete understanding that Jesus wasn't in Jerusalem all the time. Mm-hmm. It also shows you that when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he would catch himself away mm. to be with the Father. Yeah, yeah. He would go to where he could breathe. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because not only was it the religious overtones that were on top of him, but even the nature of the city itself right. is heavy. And so when we talk about where the where the uh, uh, the news comes of the birth of these, and then where the actual birth, I believe the actual birth for John the Baptist was a place called Encadum. Which, if you go to Encadum today, nobody goes into Encadum because they don't even realize it's the birthplace of John the Baptist, and there's not a whole lot there. Right. But that's where he was actually born, which actually was a place of humble beginnings. Yet the news comes in the holiest yeah. place. And I misspoke on my, my notes here. That was supposed to, the, the news of it, not the birthing place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so even with Jesus, the news of it, and then the actual birth, which actually the news of it comes 
in a place where can anything good, the actual birth even comes from a lower place than right. that, which is like no good comes from that. That's right. a, that's a, that's a stall. That's a, that's not even reserved for people right. at all. It's reserved for animals. So not only did the news come in a place that seemed very humble, right. but his birth itself comes in a even more lowly place right. and even leads to when Jesus was, was walking this earth as a man where it said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Mm. It even comes out of his birth. Yeah. Because that wasn't supposed to be the place that a, that a person would even lay their head, much less be born. Right. And I, I want to put it out there for those of you who are listening. Man, Pastor knows a lot about, about Israel. You've led several tours mm-hmm. around Jerusalem in the area. Sure. Um, all of Israel doing different stuff. You, you've had, uh, you've told stories several times on here about, I remember one story you told about like, being on a boat and you're like, Lord, call me out. Like, step <laughs> yeah. onto the water. See a Galilee. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm just weird enough to do stuff like that. But it's, it's, uh, you know, Israel is, you know, this, a lot of times it's hard to explain to people, mm-hmm. but literally when you get off the plane, when you, when your feet hit the ground, it feels familiar. Mm-hmm. It's so strange. And I had heard people say that, but I, I'd never really, not that I didn't believe it. I just mm-hmm. didn't know it. Yeah. And when I got off the plane the first time, man, and my foot hit the ground, I was like, man, I'm supposed to be here. Like, mm-hmm. have I been here before? Mm. Like, really? Have have I been here before? It just felt familiar. Yeah. And then you begin to go to these places that you've only read about. Mm. And so you read about a Sea of Galilee, and you go there, and it's a lake. Right. Lake Knesset. It's like Kinneresset. Uh, and it's like in a, it's, it's like in a bowl. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that if a storm comes over, if a storm is coming, then you only have a few minutes to get off the Sea of Galilee, mm-hmm. or you will be overtaken. Right. Makes so much sense now that when all of a sudden the storm was on them, it was the like, disciples were how could that out. happen so fast? It literally is the land. That's right. what happens. So it almost, not that it takes the supernatural part of it, but it, but it brings you into it that it was just naturally that way. And then Jesus responds supernaturally right. to that which happens natural by saying, peace, be still. Absolutely. But literally, and then also when you go there and you you would see people fishing, you know, everybody would question, why are they fishing at night? Well, that's when they fish. Because that's when the fish would come. Well, when the sun comes, the fish would go deeper. Mm. And so that's why they don't fish in the middle of the day. So when Peter says, we've toiled all night, people mm-hmm. are like, why are the fish? Well, that's what they did. Right, that's right. what you did. And then Jesus says, well, cast your net out in the middle of the day. Yeah. And they're going, Wouldn't no. There be nothing there. No. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's overwhelmed. Again, a very natural thing where Jesus gives a supernatural response. So right. again, I know that we're not talking about this specifically, but we are talking in greater context of that's why these things matter. That's mm-hmm. why it matters when this says to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Mm-hmm. That's very important because it's a fulfillment of ancient prophecy. Right. Not just in a supernatural way, but in a natural way of the land, the place, what it's known for, what it's known as, the people of that place, mm-hmm. uh, which we will even see later on with John the Baptist of people thinking he's a he's a nutcase because he wears you know, camel hair and he eats locusts and honey. Right. And they're like, oh, he's a crazy man. And so bring that to 2024, you know, a 15 year old goes, man, I'm going to eat locusts and honey and wear camel's hair because I'm a prophet or whatever. And it's like, 
No, you're missing the point. That's what they did in the wilderness of Judea. Right. He wasn't the only one who wore camel's hair right. and ate locusts and honey. That's just what it's what you do back there. That's right. It was a very natural thing that God ends up using supernaturally. Right. Cool stuff. All right, verse 27. Yes, sir. All right. Um, let me read 26 and 27 because yeah, it kind of goes. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Awesome. I There's would... a lot in this one verse. Yes. There's so much here that you may not think so, but <laughs> prophetically, naturally, supernaturally, there is a lot there. Yeah. Now, prophetically, this is pointing back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that talks about a virgin. And this has become a kind of a point of contact, or not contact, conflict, uh, because there are some people in an attempt to discredit the scriptures in a point to discredit uh, what I would say are fundamental Christian beliefs. Core doctrine. Core doctrine. That's right. Uh, they, they try to make things that, that aren't there. And so in Isaiah, in the Hebrew, the word for virgin is the word <clears throat> Alma. And when you look at Alma, legitimately it can mean a virgin, a woman who's ever had sex, but it also could just mean a, a young woman of marrying age. Mm -hmm. It may not mean necessarily that. Now, there's a lot of conversation about, there's really no time it's not used in talking about a virgin woman. But at the same time, the, the Greek word here, it's, uh, um, I've lost it on my page here. Parthenos. Uh, yes, Parthenos. This Greek word means 100% a woman who's never had sex. In discussion. And so the question becomes, well, did they use the wrong word? Well, if you go back to the Greek Septuagint, which is uh, something that was written, again, by Jewish scholars, yep. they used for Isaiah 7.14 <clears throat> that Greek term. They would not have used a word that means only a woman who's unwed and, and, and has never had sex if they didn't mean it. There is a, a fundamental understanding amongst the Jewish scholars that the Messiah would be birthed through a woman who had who was a virgin, 100% in a discussion. And this is one of those proofs that we can use to understand that our Christology is, is solidified in the fact that Jesus is born of a virgin. And again, mm -hmm. that's one of those core doctrines that has been, we cannot just throw out. There are some that have asked it, maybe suggested maybe it's not a big deal, but if the Bible said it, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really big deal. Now, um, <clears throat> the fact that he is he's born of a virgin, not only was it prophesied, but in order for him to be the, truly the son of God, mm -hmm. that had to take place. Another added, another added element to that is many commentators, scholars, uh, believe that if you use the word Alma and you use it in a terminology which means either a newly wedded woman or whatever that possibly could have had relations, but newly wedded woman, well, if she had already had relations, that would clearly be dictated in Scripture mm -hmm. because of culture, right? Clearly. It wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be hazy. It wouldn't be left up for interpretation, mm -hmm. because that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. That was a big deal, and yeah. and the fact that Mary is a virgin, and what ends up happening with the decision that Joseph has to make culturally was a massive deal, which could have been life and death, literally. Yeah, absolutely. Because of that. Now, there's a there's an interesting phraseology here that takes place also, Pastor. Um, it says. Uh, Betrothed to a man whose uh, name was Joseph of the house of David. Mm -hmm. Why is it important for Luke to point out the fact that Jesus is coming from this lineage of the house of David? Yeah, well, 
Jesus is called the son of David, I think, 17 times in the New Testament. And Isaiah 11 prophesied that the Messiah would come from the root of Jesse, which we know as the line of David. Jeremiah 23, God said that he would raise to David a branch of righteousness, being Jesus. Micah 5, uh, you are small, Judah, but one of you shall come forth to be ruler over all of Israel. So there's multiple prophecies, Old Testament, that the Messiah would come from the line of David. Mm -hmm. Over and over and over again, it points to David line, David's line. Old Testament, and then even in the New Testament, where Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Mm -hmm. And so you that's why it's so important. If if he doesn't come from the line of David, then he's not the Messiah. Right. And again, you look in Matthew chapter one in the genealogy, it begins by saying, the son of David. Here's the genealogy. Uh, go forward into Luke, and it makes that a point of of not uh, uh, a, a point of reference, referencing son of David. Right. He's called the son of man. He's called the son of David. He's called the son of God. But without that lineage of David, then he's not the Messiah, according to the prophetic mm -hmm. words that have already come forth. Not just one or two, but it's multiple. I only said three, right. but there are multiple. It's kind of the it's one of the the base requirements for somebody to be the Messiah. But in this time frame, a lot of people are coming out saying, I'm the Messiah. And um they weren't. And there's a there is a plethora of prophecies spoken throughout the scriptures who point to the Messiah. And Jesus, he numerically just defies all odds of accomplishing all these prophecies. He's the only one. The only person. Yep. But this one right here, this is like one of the base ones where people are like are you from David's line? Like, this is what the common people would be like. Yeah. I mean, if you're not from David's line, you just can't be the person. Yep. And, and also a lot of, uh, a lot of people who are counter to Christianity have always tried to use the lack of, uh, um, archeological evidence for David, mm -hmm. which for years, there wasn't a lot of definitive uh, evidence mm -hmm. that there was a David. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden you begin to, to see the unearthing of certain things pointing to David. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like every time there was a question that would be brought forth, there would be some kind of evidence that would show up. It's mm -hmm. not because somebody was trying to, it was almost like God was just unearthing things. Yeah. So and so then you go to, um, I would say 35, maybe 40 years ago now, where there began to be archaeological evidence of the city of David, and they began to find things. There was there was something found in Tel Dan, which is almost the northernmost part. It's where Dan went to to overtake uh, farmers who weren't warriors so they could have their land because Dan refused to uh, take uh, full inheritance of their uh, inherited land, which was Tel Aviv and the coastline. Mm -hmm. But there were enemies there. So Dan refused to do it. So they go to the northernmost place, and they take land that wasn't theirs to inherit. They kill people who couldn't defend themselves, and they take that land. If you go to Tel Dan now, it's really uninhabitable for people, and it's more like national park and forest now. Oh, wow. But you also take that into Revelation, and where it tells you the 144,000, you don't find the tribe of Dan. Hmm. Don't think I ever thought about that. There's no tribe of Dan. Yeah, yeah. They refused 
to possess that which God inherited and took something that wasn't theirs. Mm -hmm. And they're not in the 144. I'd never thought about that. That's a whole side thing. But I say tell Dan because tell Dan is the place where I think it was a a college group of archaeologists, not a Christian college or anything, but they were up there and they were unearthing some certain things and uh, the pagan altars that were made up in Tel Dan and and some of the prophets who had given themselves to false idols and different things and and there was one student in particular and I believe this is this is the way the story went um, because we were there we've been there several times but it was one particular time we were there and we had a scholar with us not a Christian but a scholar and a very trusted scholar worldwide. And they said, this is the place where a student was uh, just walking and they tripped on something and it flipped something over and it was a coin. And when they began to do the study of this coin, they realized the, the, the uh, ancient history of this coin. And it was actually one of the enemies of David mm. who had minted a coin celebrating the fact that they had defeated David. Mm. And so it was actual enemy of David celebrating a victory over David right. that then said, Oh, there was a David. Mm-hmm. And so then you have all over all these years, the city of David now has not fully been unearthed, but they have carefully uh, went through, and now you can actually walk through what they have confirmed was the city of David. Wow. Which you confirm that, and then that confirms that Jesus comes from the lineage of David. Because mm-hmm. that was always the argument. If we can't find evidence of David, then there was no Jesus. Right. Or Jesus... Although he was a historical figure, he did not come from the line of David because there was no David. So you could bring the virgin birth into question, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the whole entire core doctrine of the Christian faith into contention because of no David. But I do think it's interesting that the pride of the enemy (laughs) is what actually brings proof of God's plan and purpose. Yeah, And that has been that way since the beginning Mm -hmm. because ultimately we know that that's what... Uh, got into uh, the the core of uh, Lucifer mm-hmm. that it was pride. It was yeah. not wanting to be like God. It was wanting to be God. Yeah. And so the fact that this enemy wanted everybody to know that they had defeated David all these years later right. becomes evidence that there was a David. Mm. So to me, all of that points to why the David line is so important. Absolutely. Wow. Again, we're, I don't know how many minutes into this podcast, and we've already gone through a lot of information in just a few verses. But this is why, again, we do this whole, take it a moment, because there's a lot. If we just cut through, this easy just to cut And if we need to break this up into another one beyond this, (laughs) Dallas, we'll do that. We can do that. We don't have to blaze through this. Uh, Because, again, we're only two verses in, (laughs) and we we have already dealt with a lot. Yeah. That's not just in this, but again, context matters Mm -hmm. and words matter and terminology matters and locations matter. Mm -hmm. It all matters in the word of God. Absolutely. All right. 28 to 30. Yes, sir. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, again, this is an angel. Uh, this is the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. Mm-hmm. Verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
Awesome. Now, this is another contrast between John's story and Jesus. In John's story, the angel just appeared to Zechariah, and fear fell upon him instantly. Of course, he's in the Holy of Holies. He's doing a service, and all of a sudden, the angel's just there. And we had talked about a couple of weeks ago that, that the the thought of what have I done wrong had to come across his mind. Here, though, uh, the angel seems to be more gentle and more graceful. He introduces himself by assuring her right off the bat that she has she's highly favored by God. Which, I'm, as a random side note, every time I go to say highly favored, I can't help but think, <laughs> you know where I'm going. One person. One person, several years ago, a, a blessed man of God who was a friend of our, of our church. Uh, he was at the, at the front of the stage leading in a, a, we were hosting a kindergarten graduation, and he goes, we are blessed and highly flavored. <laughs> so, love that man. He was a great man of God, but that's a whole other thing. But this angel is like, you know, he he starts off by assuring her, hey, you're favored by God. And then instead of being stricken by fear, she's troubled. And there's a difference between being stricken by fear and being troubled. This is now like, what is happening here? And the angel then goes on to assure her once more. Um, when I read this, Pastor, I, I kind of believe that this is a sign of God's grace for her and also for all of us. He knows what we can and cannot handle. He knows how to speak to us and instruct us and at the same time, he knows how to remove uh, the fear that can hold us so captive at times. Yeah, I, I also think that it that it shows that even in angelic visitation, that who you are and where you are matters. Mm-hmm. How God would approach a priest in the temple mm-hmm. would be very different of how a young girl mm-hmm. would be approached in a place like Nazareth. And so... Uh, Again, the 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 weight of where they are and who it is, I think, matters. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that in most angelic visitation throughout the Word of God. Who it is, it matters, and it shows you how that angel will approach that person. Mm-hmm. So again, the way that Gabriel comes, um, I think is uh, I think is what removes that absolute being afraid. And more of just being troubled. Yeah. Um, whereas when Zacharias is approached, it's in a very holy place in a holy moment. Yeah. Where there's already much trepidation in his own heart yeah. of what he's about to do. And then an angel shows up. And seemingly an angel hadn't showed up in hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. And so I I, I just think that there's a, a huge difference in in who the angel's coming to. And although the the words are very similar, hey, the Lord has heard you, mm-hmm. the Lord's favored you, the 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 person and the situation is completely different. Yeah. And I think we see that even when God sends angels, that there are certain instructions for that angel and how they are to approach mm-hmm. uh people. Yeah. And I think we see that uh, throughout the word of God. Absolutely. Verse 31. Yes, sir. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, which I, I kind of think that's a funny. <laughs> Where else is she going to conceive? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, and really? Behold, the womb? You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now we know Yahshua. Uh, uh, um, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Again, mm. that lineage comes up, yep, comes up again. 
verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. All right. So now here we discover more of our Christology. Jesus is the son of the highest or the most high, depending on what translation you have. This is a this is a major ordeal of identifying who Jesus is. This means very clearly that he's the son of God. And at the same time, he will sit on the throne of David uh, and be the head of the kingdom of, of God forever. Now, uh, I was reading a commentary, and this is interesting. The order of this proclamation makes things uh, interesting. Uh, first is the declaration of Jesus as son, and then his vocation of sitting on the throne. And one commentator said that um, it's more important that Jesus is known as the Son of God than the Messiah, suggesting that his actions are secondary to his identity as a whole, which we've talked about before, how so often we put so much emphasis, people put emphasis on their, what they do rather than their identity in God. Mm-hmm. His Messiahship is an outgrowth of his sonship with God. If he's not the Son of God, he's not Messiah. Exactly, so. 1%. Yeah. So uh, again, if um, if I'm not a child of God, then I am not even known as Pastor Scott. Mm-hmm. If I don't have an encounter with God 30 years ago, and come into the kingdom of God uh, through Jesus and through His blood and become uh, a child of God, then what I'm doing right now, I'm not even doing. Right. And so that's not to say that people can't have a title and. They, they can't be misrepresenting, you know, who they are. But in the same token, because of all the prophecies that have gone forth about who the Messiah would be, if he's not the Son of God, especially Isaiah's prophecies, um, then he's not, he's not Messiah. Exactly. Yeah. Verse 34, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Okay. So Mary's response is interesting considering Zacharias' response. Zacharias, he wanted proof that uh, what the angel was saying was true. He said, what sign do you give me about this? Whereas Mary's isn't that way. She's not questioning the word of the Lord. Uh, Mary is a young lady, and she, all she is asking for instructions on, <laughs> how does this work? Yeah. You know, this is, you know, there's a level of logic. She's going, A plus B does not work. How How is this to happen, Lord? And... Um, She's not demanding proof. She's just looking for a path. And She's searching. Exactly. And this kind of raised a question for me. Uh, I wanted to ask you, concerning these two responses, uh, when you feel like you've heard from the Lord on something you should do, how do you test things out? Because there's a conversation about, you know, testing what, what the Lord is saying to you. Sure. How do you seek wisdom and how do you on how to fulfill what God has for you without just flat out, you know, being denying, like, I don't know, sure if really God's speaking here. Like, how do you have that balance because there are some people who feel like if they question anything when they're seeking that they're denying who God is. Yeah. Well, taken, taken in context, Zacharias and Mary, I think mm-hmm. there's a, there's a huge difference, mm-hmm. not just in their response, but again, who they are. Zacharias is advanced in age, barren, no child. He's a righteous man. He's called out to God over and over. His prayer hasn't been heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he is doing is very serious. He's again, he's older. The purity of that has waned a little bit because of his age. Mm-hmm. And so when the angel comes, first, there is an all-out fear that the angel has even come. And right. you know this as well as I do, as well as all of you guys do, that when genuine fear grips you, then all manner of um sensible thinking is gone. Oh, yeah. 
So why is it when you watch a movie or something and they're like running from somebody, they go, oh, let's go here. And it's like, that's the worst <laughs> right. possible place. Why are you, you going go. upstairs? It's like, why are you doing that? But it's because when fear arrests your heart, mm -hmm. then sensibilities go. Mm -hmm. And when sensibilities go, you make terrible decisions. And so to me, you have the purity of Mary, who's not only a virgin, but a young girl. And of all accounts that we can see, she was pure before the Lord, not just in physical manner, but pure before the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so when, when the angel comes to the two, you don't have this immediate being afraid. You have more of a just being troubled by, okay, what is happening? Mm -hmm. Where Zacharias is, what have I done wrong? Right. Hers is more of what is happening. Right. And so... In that, I think there's a lesson for us. The purity of our heart matters mm -hmm. when God speaks to us, when we feel like we've heard from God and we feel like we should take a step. The purity of our heart needs to dictate that step. Yeah. Our motives, you know, um, again, not talking to 15 different people and laying out 15 fleeces, <laughs> but we go back to the Word of God. Right. We go back to the Word of God. That's this is the main way that we test all things is the word of God. Mm -hmm. And then discernment from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. To know what is the Lord and what is not the Lord, mm -hmm. which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. To discern what is the Lord and what is not. Now, to take steps beyond that, trusted counsel, which is also in the word of God, mm -hmm. a multitude of counselors, trusted, faith filled. Um, uh, those that have been proven, mm. right? Yeah. So I'm not going to somebody who just got saved. I'm going to somebody that I've seen proven in their life, character and integrity and faith and walking through things and dealing with hard things and not knowing, is this the Lord or not, yet taking a step in the purity. And so I think the Word of God, discerning in the Holy Spirit and trusted counsel. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, to seek wisdom and and what step to take. And you know, Pastor Ivan recently from India recently talked about making a move. Mm -hmm. And basically, what he said was, you just keep your eyes on Jesus, and even though you may not know what it is, mm -hmm. you keep moving forward. Right. You don't turn back. You keep moving forward. Yeah. And when he said keep moving forward, he's not talking about, okay, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to jump on a plane, go to Africa, and be a missionary. No, no, no. You keep moving forward in the disciplines of the faith in mm -hmm. serving the Lord. Yeah. And as you do that, then, again, the Word of God is, is a lamp unto my feet first. Then it's a light unto my path. Mm -hmm. It's a lamp unto my feet. When you have a lamp unto your feet, you don't see what's in front of you. You only see what's right there, right. that first step. Yeah. But as you begin to walk the path becomes lit. And sometimes you don't even know what the path was until you get on the other side and you look back and the path is lit and you go, oh, that's what that meant. Mm. Oh, that's what that meant. Oh, that's why I stopped there. Oh, that's what happened there. That's what happened there. But but it's our faith and our purity of faith that keeps us moving forward. Although we don't see it all as we're doing it, we look back on it and we see it because we were faithful. Yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? Abs it does. Okay. I was hoping it would. All right, verse 35. Um, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. 
Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. All right, so a lot happening in this one aspect. Here we see Holy Spirit, uh, again, acting, coming, moving forward, it, being present in this time frame pre the book of Acts, mm-hmm. active in the lives of these people, and then the power of God overshadowing Mary. And uh, I did some, just some looking into the vocabulary overshadow is interesting because it's also the same term that is used to describe the cloud that covered the tabernacle uh, in the... Um, in Exodus, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the same Greek term from the uh, Septuagint. And in three counts of the Transfiguration, it's the same term. Yep. So it's the sense that the Holy Spirit surrounds and the power of God himself envelops her completely. Mm-hmm. And there's something unexplainable in human terms that takes place divinely in her, in her that causes this to take place. And uh, it's a miraculous thing that takes place. But again, it links back to, again, our, our core Christology. Jesus is the Son of God, 100%. That is one of those core doctrines. We cannot sit there and go, well, Jesus was a good teacher, or he you know, he was just a prophet, he was just another man. He is the Son of God specifically. There are no others like him. He's not the, he's not the first created being. He is, he is God, but yeah. he is the Son of God. Yeah, and that term overshadow, which alludes to Exodus, meaning the Shekinah glory, mm. which man can't touch. Mm-hmm. And so when it says that she would be overshadowed, the Shekinah glory would be upon her, mm. that no man could touch her. Mm. That's interesting. Hence you go forward, and when it becomes known of what's happened, she doesn't get stoned. Yeah. Which is what should have happened. Exactly. She doesn't get stoned. Man couldn't touch her. Right. And then we do know that, that of course, later on, Joseph gets visited. Mm-hmm. And so Joseph can't even make the decision that he should have been able to make. Right. Because not just, I don't think, not just because the angel came to him, but because of her being overshadowed mm. by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Shekinah yeah. glory. Because, again, the Shekinah glory, man could not touch it and live. Mm. And so we see no one touching Right, Mary. Although it was hard, and although their journey was hard, no one touches her. Is this the same kind of glory that was on the ark that no man could touch the ark? Yeah, the okay. Shekinah glory of God. Mm-hmm. And then you you see it also when um, in Solomon's day, when the temple and the one hundred and twenty oh, yeah. were gathered together, and they didn't keep to their divisions, mm-hmm. and the glory falls, and they could not even enter in to minister, mm-hmm. and the people fell on their face. Mm. Everyone fell on their face, and then the fire of God came. Um, that's the same type. You cannot touch the Shekinah glory. Mm. That's interesting. Yes. I hadn't even thought about that portion of it. Verse 36 and 37. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called Barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. Can I go ahead and read verse 38? Yeah, go for it. Then Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Awesome. So here we have Mary, and um, our angel points out to Mary, further proof of God's divine hand. And he's tell, telling her about Elizabeth. Now, in the reading of it, it seems like Mary didn't even know about Elizabeth. Right. She didn't know that this, this because, again, according to the, just a few verses back, she as soon as she knew that she was pregnant, she went off and hid away yep. uh, for um, to be to be away from everything. So 
you have a sick place and then you have the statement um, at the end of it. Um, it's fascinating. It, the implications of her being an unwed pregnant woman in this time frame were enormous, right? Her reputation, her family reputation, her very life, we talked about this earlier, is in danger. Yet, her response is, let it be to me according to your word. Mm-hmm. It's a sign of her full trust in God. She's like, if this is what you want, Lord, I'm I'm for this. I will walk this out. And it's it's this very brave statement that honestly, it challenges me at times. Yeah, and I think what we're going to deal with in the next episode is her knowledge of the Old Testament, her knowledge of the prophetic scriptures, her knowledge, because she said, let it be to me according to your word. Mm -hmm. That's a very mature statement (laughs) for someone her age at that time. Absolutely. And that came from a knowledge of, which shows us that she was raised up to know God. Yeah. And, and to, 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 Obey his word, mm. um, which, again, we'll, we will deal with in the next episode. Absolutely. Well, we'll hear from you guys. How does this encourage you? How does it challenge you? Let us know. Reach out to us, mediahub at thbshreveport.com, or you can check out our Facebook page. Look for Midweek Move. Also, just a favor, if you're watching this on YouTube, leave some comments. Let us know what your guys' thoughts are. How does this uh, you know, encourage you and challenge you? And can I add something? Absolutely. Hey, if you're watching this and you're creative and you, uh, you're, like, looking at us and going, man, it's just a big white table. <laughs> Send us your comments. Send us links to decorations, to backdrops, to different things that maybe you're creative and you see those things and you're like, man, this would look great back there or this would look good here or maybe this here. Send that to us. We want to take your feedback. We want you to use your gifts to help us be as excellent as we can possibly be. So that's just a free plug. (laughs) I love it. All right, guys, until next time, have a great week.